Unto him who has loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, unto him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. God's word for our sermon is based upon the words of our gospel for today. It's from the third gospel, the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. And you just heard those words read to you from the altar. My dear fellow believers in our Savior Jesus Christ, our world admires persistence. You hear stories all the time about people who persisted in what they were doing. People who kept on working. People who kept on trying and trying. Kept on struggling until finally they succeeded. It may be the athlete who keeps on practicing and practicing until finally he or she makes the team. It may be the student who keeps on studying and studying until finally they get their degree. It may be the businessman who suffers financial reverse after financial reverse until finally he starts making some money. Persistence. Sticking to it. We admire that. We ought to admire it the most in the attitude and life of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He was persistent. He stuck to his work. He did not give up, even though he was pulled and pushed and tempted to. That was true for him in the past with his work here on this earth, but it's also still true for him in the present. Because you see, even still today, Jesus doesn't give up. Even though his enemies continue to attack his people. And it is the persistence of Jesus that God wants us to remember today from this worship service and from this scripture text. So as you go home from church this morning, and as you live out your lives in the upcoming week, and as you continue in the weeks and months and years ahead, please join me and say with me the joy of these words of our sermon theme. What a persistent Savior. And our sermon divides up into two points this morning. First off, Jesus never gave up on his work of redemption. And secondly, he never gives up on calling us to repentance. <clears throat> the situation in our text is this. Jesus is in Perea. That's on the east side of the Jordan River. That was Herod's territory. The very same Herod who had cut the head of John the Baptist off. This Herod was now threatening to kill Jesus. He put that threat out there, he had done that, in order to try and frighten Jesus out of his territory into Jerusalem, where Jesus would be in Pontius Pilate's jurisdiction. So he'd have to deal with him. 
The Pharisees came to Jesus. They told Jesus about Herod's threat, not, not because they wanted to protect Jesus. They hated Jesus. But they told him that in order to make him go to Jerusalem. Because you see, once they were there in that city, now they were under control. Now they could arrest him. Now they could kill him. You see, both Herod and the Pharisees were evil people seeking to put the pressure on Jesus to get him to do their will. In our text, Jesus boldly says, go tell Herod that fox, huh? he's not calling the shots for me. And by implication, Jesus is also saying, and neither are you Pharisees. You're not calling the shots for me either. I'll do my ministry. I'll do my work. I'll go to Jerusalem when I decide to go there, when it's God's timetable to go there. You see, Jesus knew he had to die in Jerusalem. And he knew when he was going to die in Jerusalem. He was completely in charge of everything. He was going to offer his life as a sacrifice for sinners in Jerusalem. And he was going to do that at Passover time because he was the fulfillment of the Passover. He was the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sin of the whole world. I must keep going, Jesus says. Those are words of persistence. They are words of determination. They are words of commitment to a cause. Jesus wasn't going to let anybody stop him from that work of redemption. Oh, to be sure, the devil tried. Last Sunday in our worship service, you heard how the devil tempted Jesus very specifically three times in the wilderness, only to hear Jesus say three times in response, It is written. Jesus' mother, Mary, tried to stop him at one time. Remember how she interfered at the wedding in Cana. My time has not yet come, Jesus said to her. Even the apostle Peter tried to stop him, telling Jesus, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You can't suffer. You can't die. And then when Jesus was arrested later on, Peter even tried to fight for Jesus and even cut off a man's ear in the process. I must keep going, Jesus says in our text. God had a plan to sacrifice his own son. He had devised that plan in eternity, even before Adam and Eve came into this world, right? Jesus was on the same page as that plan with his heavenly father. He was going to go to Calvary to rescue the human race. And nothing, nor nobody, was going to stop him because he was our persistent savior. Oh, what a comfort that is for us. For we know how weak and fragile we are. We know how fickle and lacking in persistence we can be at times. Most of us have stood before the Lord's altar and we have vowed to be faithful to our faithful God in our confirmation vow. 
We have vowed to be faithful in our use of the means of grace. Which means we have promised that we are going to come to worship services, church services, at least every week, huh? We have vowed to read God's word and to study God's word and to come to Bible studies and grow in our faith. We have vowed to live a holy life, a life that avoids sin and that lines up with God's Ten Commandments. We have vowed to serve our God by serving our fellow Christians in our local congregation. How persistent have we been in carrying out those confirmation vows? How well have we done? Isn't it common for us to try and give God excuses for not persistently following Jesus? I changed my mind, God. I found out in high school or in college that I don't really believe all that stuff that our pastors taught us in catechism class. I got a job that keeps me from worshiping God weekly, and surely God will understand. I found another Christian church that makes me feel good about myself more even though they don't teach the same about the Bible as I was taught when I was young. What a bunch of fickle and ephemeral Christians we can be at times. Thank God that we have a persistent Savior. Thank God that our Jesus went to that cross and paid for our fickleness and our lack of commitment. Thank God that Jesus took care of our lukewarmness, that he died for our lackadaisical attitude and suffered the hell that we deserved for our hit-and-miss Christian life. Jesus set his will to go to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And as we once again have the privilege of tracing the story during this Lenten season of his suffering and death, just look at the determination on Jesus' face and marvel that nothing let him, nothing was going to deter him from that work of redemption. What a persistent Savior. But Jesus' persistence wasn't just to carry out his work of redemption. Actually, Good Friday shows us that Jesus finished that. His persistence continues right on into the presence, into the right now, huh? Because you see, if Jesus' persistence had stopped at Good Friday, we'd all be going to hell. Even if his persistence had stopped at Easter Sunday or at the Ascension 40 days later, right? We'd all still be going to hell. We needed Jesus' persistence to go on. We needed the blessings of Pentecost. We needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus' redemption, you see, needs to be applied to the individual person so that they benefit by it. His gospel needs to be believed. His declared forgiveness of sins needs to be received and held onto 
and retained until the day that we die. And that's part two of our sermon for this morning as we marvel at our persistent Savior, huh? He never gives up calling us to repentance. We see that persistence of Jesus to call individual sinners to repentance here in our text. Listen again to the persistence, to the passion, to the pathos huh? in Jesus' words. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have tried to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus loved all those people there in Jerusalem, including all those people who hated him. All those people who ultimately saw to it that he was killed, huh? He loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and all of the residents of the city. In spite of their hatred for him, he kept on trying and trying and trying to bring them back, to change their minds and to receive his love. That's persistence. That's love. Have you ever seen a cluck hen with her baby chicks? I grew up on a farm in southeastern Minnesota, and we had all kinds of animals, including cluck hens, huh? And when the hen hatched her babies, oh, she took care of them. She clucked to them. She spread her wings over them. She protected them, and she made sure that they got some food. You see, each little chick was precious to her. That's a picture of how God, how Jesus has a persistent and a passionate love for each and every one of us. He loves all of us as individual people. What a persistent Savior, huh? What a persistent love he has for us sinners. You want to know more of that persistent love? Read about his love and his call to repentance on your own as you read that most beautiful gospel, the gospel according to St. Luke, my favorite of the four, huh? where our sermon text is taken from for today. Because you see, the theme of the book of Luke is Jesus, friend of sinners. Read in the book of Luke about how Jesus reaches out to tax collectors, like Matthew. How he forgives prostitutes and public sinners. How he raises the widow of Nain's son, dead son, back to life. How he comforts the sinful woman who was there in front of him. How he tells the story of the two lost sons. One lost to wild and licentious living, and the other lost to being a self-righteous Pharisee. Read about how Jesus tells the short man up in the tree, the guy named Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree because I'm coming to your house today because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Read about how Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today 
you will be with me in paradise. Yes, Jesus reached out to individual people, one-on-one. He didn't care how sinful they were. He didn't care how lost they were. He didn't care how society viewed them. He only cared that they repented of their sins and then turned to him for forgiveness. And so he went after them full bore and he rejoiced when they repented. What a persistent Savior. He's done that with each one of us. Hasn't he? Our Jesus loves each one of us. No doubt about it. And he's come after us too, for many of us, years and years and years. See, the older we are, the more we know it, huh? Who of us can't look back at our past years and say, what an idiot I was when I was younger. What a spiritual rebel. What sinful stuff I said or did. How could I have said that or done that or even thought that, huh? Just like King David, we too will have to say, as he says in Psalm 51, My sin is ever before me. We all have our own skeletons in the closet. Maybe it was defiant rebellion against our parents or against our teachers. Maybe it was proud self-righteousness. Maybe it was drinking too much alcohol or other illegal drugs or just plain too much partying, huh? Maybe it was our big mouth, right, with words of anger or words of gossip. Maybe it was sexual sins of all different kinds, from pornographic pictures to one-night stands to long-term cohabitation arrangements that trashed marriage. Don't we all have to pray David's prayer in Psalm 25? Lord, remember not the sins of my youth, nor consider my rebellious ways. But Jesus didn't give up on us. He kept coming after us. And here we are today, in the house of our Jesus, with our Savior here. Here we are at the foot of the cross. And he says to you, and he says to me and to all of us, your sins are forgiven because of me. I have died for them, and I have forgiven them. So put your trust in me. For I have settled your account with God. And Jesus will keep coming after us with that message. You see, he's coordinating everything in all of our lives to get us to that message. And he sends people into our lives to call us to repentance. Perhaps a Christian friend, a fellow congregation member, a pastor, an elder, a deaconess, or perhaps a co-worker or a spouse. Jesus may have to smack us upside the head at times to get our attention. He may take away our job, or give us a physical problem, or put us into the hospital so that the only way we can look is up. 
But behind everything that happens to us is our persistent Savior trying to get us to repent, trying to get us closer to him, trying to strengthen us in our faith and our connection to him because, you see, he still loves us, and he always will. No, Jesus won't force anybody to repent. He won't force anybody to accept his love. Mankind still does retain the right of refusal. People still have wills of their own. And they can still say in those wills, no to Jesus and to his persistent love. And eventually people do run out of time to react to Jesus' persistent love. We all have what we call a time of grace. A period of so many years to live on this earth. And it varies from person to person. But all those years eventually will come to an end. And while people can give up on Jesus' love, Jesus on his part will never give up on his love for us. Never. As long as we're living, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're on this earth, he's going to do everything he can to call us to repentance so that he can announce that beautiful forgiveness and eternal life that is ours as his free gift. Oh, what a persistent Savior. So, my friends, let us continue to admire persistence as we see it in our world. It's a great quality to have in life. But above all else, let us admire that quality in our Savior Jesus. What a persistent Savior. Amen.